I want to get started because a couple weeks ago, I came back and, and talked about that verse, Jeremiah 29, 13, and kind of the impact that it had had uh, on my heart over the summer, right? You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with what? All your heart, right? And what does that word all mean, right? All, right? Not a trick question, right? Not a trick question this morning. It's too early for that on a Sunday morning. But, but all your heart means everything, right? All your heart. And so I, I kind of posed the question a couple weeks ago, what is it that we're seeking with our whole heart? What is it that we're pursuing with our whole heart? And what is the center of our pursuit? And so as we were kind of thinking and praying and studying where we wanted to go with that, Jesus has seven I am statements in the Gospels. And so we're going to spend the next um, six or seven weeks looking at the I am statements of Jesus. But today, we wanted to kind of launch into that with talking about a word that isn't popular among all of us, because if we're going to look at the pursuit and we're going to look at these I am statements, I think the thing that we have to kind of cover first is what authority does Jesus have? What authority does Jesus have? Now, some of us do great with authority. Others of us, maybe not so much, right? Um, like, like, I've got a story. When I was 16, I mentioned this last Sunday, I was called to ministry and knew that I wanted to, to be in ministry for the rest of my life. And so, as I was entering my junior year of, no, excuse me, my sophomore year of high school, being called to ministry, uh, I didn't think that Algebra 2 was very necessary in my ministry. And some of you have heard this story before and you're already laughing. My mom is back there and she knows the story very personally. She's not laughing as much. Um, but, uh, but I remember in Algebra 2, my teacher uh, thought that it was very necessary to give us about 100 problems a night of homework. And she said that our homework was going to amount to about 70 to 80 percent of our grade. And again, authority, didn't really need Algebra 2. I was going to be a pastor or do something with ministry, a youth pastor for the rest of my life. And so I decided that I would challenge her authority and not do that homework. So when I took Algebra 2 again in my junior year, <laughs> I knew the authority, <laughs> right? And, and, uh, and, and, and that was not a very popular thing. And I'm not saying to all of you uh, middle and high school students that that was right. But I remember my mom teaching me something as I was growing up, and, and especially in the event of Algebra 2, they may not be right, but they're boss. And I love that quote, right? They may not be right, but they're boss, right? And so I may not think, and, and I'm not saying that my teacher was wrong giving us homework, Mrs. Willette, um, but, uh, but, but I do... Because, you know, the next year I actually fell in love with Algebra 2 and then ended up doing Algebra 3 in, in uh, my senior year when I didn't have to. And anyway, but, um, but they may not be right, but they're boss. And I think when it comes to authority, we could all benefit from living by that a little bit better. And the Bible actually talks about it quite a bit. And to set this up a little bit more, if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 1. But uh, I was reading an article this past week that says this, American society is moving farther away from traditional religion than ever. For the first time ever, the nuns, or those that express no particular religious belief, amount to about 30% of our population. 30%. 
So those that, those that say or amount to no religious belief, they express no particular religious belief, are about 30%, tied with about 30% of Catholic background, and about 30% Protestant, and then about 10% everything else. And so about 30% of our culture is professing Jesus. And so for the first time ever, um, we're, we're seeing this shift. And the interesting thing to me is that even though there are more nuns than ever, those that are expressing no particular religious belief, there's also a higher number of people who identify as highly spiritual. As highly spiritual. And so I think for the first time in our culture, we're seeing this, um, maybe this buffet style of religion, this buffet style of spirituality, where I can take these beliefs from here, and I can take these beliefs from here, and I can take these beliefs from here, and I can make up kind of my own spirituality, my own belief system. Um, and the reality is they're not, they're, they're spiritual, they are spiritual, but they're just not religious, Right? They are spiritual, but they're just not religious. Now, when it comes to relationships, it's dangerous, right, to expect that one person can meet all of your needs. It's dangerous to expect that one person can meet all of your needs. I see this a lot in young marriages, Right? I see that we, we see this all the time in young marriages or dating relationships or, or, or engaging, engagement relationships, right? Where, um, where, the, where the other person in the relationship um, becomes the God placement, or excuse me, the God replacement and not the God placement. See, I believe that God places husbands and God places wives into a marriage relationship to be a God placement to meet some needs, but not to be a God replacement and meet all of your needs. If you think about your husband, if you think about your wife, if you think about your friends, if you think about your sons, your daughters, your parents, you know, if you think about any relationship you have, if you're going to expect them to meet all of your needs, you're setting them up and yourself up for failure. Right off the bat. You're setting yourself up, you're setting them up for failure. Relationships, one relationship is not just going to meet all of your needs. But what if all of our spiritual needs could be met in one person? What if all of our spiritual needs, are, what if all of our physical needs, what if all of our needs could actually be met in one person? And so I just want to have a conversation this morning about Jesus, because I believe Jesus is that person. I believe Jesus is that person that can meet and was designed to meet all of our needs. Every single need that you have, Jesus can meet in some way. The Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, which is, which is interesting because when you think about someone that hated um, Jesus, that hated, the, you know, was actually an accuser for the other side, the Apostle Paul writing two-thirds of the New Testament, he was writing to the young church in Colossae, that's our book of Colossians, that had a lot of confusion over what it meant to follow God. And Paul set the record straight in the book of Colossians. It's a great book. He said, it's all about Jesus. That if you're going to follow God, it's all about Jesus. If you have any shot at following God, it's all about Jesus. The word Christian even means little Christ. We mentioned Ephesians 5.1 last Sunday. Imitate Christ, therefore, as His dear children. That is the role of the believer. If, you're going to, if you want to be a Christian, you're going to follow Jesus. 
And Paul told the believers, and I believe he's telling us today, right, that Jesus comes first. And so if you look at Colossians chapter 1, we're going to look at it. I believe there's six things about Jesus that Paul shares with the church at Colossae that I think apply to us today when it comes to authority. You guys ready? You guys, you guys ready? This means yes. This means no. Okay. All right. So, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He, that he is Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things. Everybody say all things. Oh, y'all can do better than that. I'll give you another chance here in a minute. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. Underline that, start. I think that's a great reminder for us today. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on, he- on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I told you I was going to give you another chance, but I didn't really see a good opportunity there, so we'll do it later. Maybe. That's a lot, right? That, from 15 to 20 there, there is a lot of things that Paul says about Jesus and the authority of him. So let's talk about number one. Take it verse by verse. The first part of verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. The image of the invisible God. What does that mean for us? I can get to know God through him. Now we got to think about why Jesus from the beginning here, right? I can get to know God through Jesus. Jesus stepped out of heaven, became a man. Jesus put skin on, came to this earth, right? Philippians chapter 2 does a great job describing this. Then he humbled himself by taking the form of a servant, becoming nothing, right? The whole purpose of this was so that we could gain access to God because we talk about it all the, all the time. The entire Old Testament of the Bible from Genesis to Malachi, right? From Genesis to Malachi, we talk about it all the time, right? They were looking for a sacrifice suitable for the debt of our sin, for the debt of humans, right? For the debt of manhood, right? Humankind. And, and they couldn't find one, right? They couldn't find a, a, a payment suitable, a sacrifice suitable for the sins of, of us, for the sins of the people, And so then in in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, they're the Gospels that record the story of Jesus stepping out of heaven, being born of a virgin, right? And then walking 33 and a half years on this earth, performing miracles, doing the work of ministry, and then being crucified on the cross, being buried, raised again so that he could ascend into heaven so that, John 14, we're going to get to this in a few weeks when we talk about he is the way, the truth, and the life, right? That's one of the I am statements of Jesus. We're going to get there so that he could go and prepare a place for us so that, John 17, we could be one with him. The entire purpose of Jesus was so that we could gain access in relationship and fellowship to God. It's key. Jesus is key to us having hope. There is no hope outside of Jesus this side of heaven. He is the image 
of the invisible God. And so Jesus stepping out of heaven, becoming human, right? He is the image of the invisible God. Let's talk about this a little bit more. The Greek word for image here actually means icon. And if you look up the definition of what an icon is, an icon is an exact replication or a perfect copy. Jesus is the visible image, perfect image of the invisible God. Verse 19, he adds, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. God was pleased in his son. Hebrews 1.3 puts it like this, the son of the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. John 14.9 says this, anyone who has seen Jesus has seen the Father. So Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Here's what all that means. All of the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. Why was this important to the church at Colossae? I'm glad you asked. Because again, Paul was trying to clear up some false doctrine that the, that the church at Colossae was hearing from a group called the Gnostics. And they used the word fullness to refer to a combination of all spirit, supernatural influences, that buffet, right? That buffet type of religion, that buffet type of spirituality. But Paul borrowed their own word to elevate Jesus above all of the religious ideas. Jesus is God with skin on. The implication is clear that if you want to get to know God, get to know the Jesus of the Scriptures. I mentioned last week that book, Crazy Love, that was written by Francis Chan probably about 10 or 12 years ago. Phenomenal book. But Francis Chan was a pastor. He was a church leader. He planted a church, grew in a church, and he'd been a Christian for most of his life as he tells the story. And he said, you know what? He got to a place in his life, he got to a place in his walk with Jesus where he just wanted to get to know Jesus like it was the first time. Right? Like it was the first time. Like it was the first time he was meeting Jesus. And so he decided to go back and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He read the Gospels three times like he had never read them before. And it transformed his relationship with Jesus. If we want to get to know God, right, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. If, 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 if he is going to be the center of our pursuit, and Jesus is the image of the invisible God, right, then it would make sense for us to press into Jesus. It makes sense for us to press into the Jesus of the Scriptures. It would make sense for us to do so, right? Number two, Paul says to the church at Colossae, the voice of all creation, or uh, as the SV puts it here, the firstborn of all creation. What does that mean for us? I can trust any problem to him for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him I can trust any problem that I have to him the last part of verse 15 the firstborn of all creation the word firstborn here doesn't mean that Jesus was created he's God right 
That was the first point. God creates and everything else is creation. Jesus, God in the flesh, God with skin on, is highest overall. Firstborn then referred to a place of honor more than an order of birth. So the fact that Paul says firstborn of all creation, that was a place of honor for Jesus, not necessarily an order of birth, right? So for instance, Jacob was given the status of firstborn over his older brother Esau, right? Here, Jesus has the place of honor in all creation. So here's the point. If Jesus is over all creation, right? If Jesus is over all creation, that means nothing is too big for him to handle. If Jesus is over all creation, that means nothing is too big for him to handle. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing too big. Nothing too small. If he is over all and in all, before all, nothing is out of his reach. Nothing is too big for him to handle. We can trust any problem that we have to Jesus and he can handle it. All of creation is His. He can handle our relationship problems. He can handle our medical conditions. He can handle our job situations. He can handle it all. He knows what you're worried about. He knows what's stressing you out this morning. He knows what's making you sick this morning. He knows. And the beauty of God in Jesus is that He can handle it. Look at your neighbor and say, He can handle it. That's weak, y'all. Come on. Come on. I mean, I don't know about you, right? But, but, if, but if God... I hate Kristen's not in here, but after I tell you this story, you'll know why she's not in here. We're potty training our two-year-old right now. <laughs> and last night, I'm sitting here, and I'm, I'm thinking, I'm going over the message, and I'm thinking... You can handle it. Handle this. She sat here for two and a half hours. Make her pee, Jesus. Like, come on. Too far? Maybe. I don't know. But I'm just telling you where I'm at, all right? I'm just telling you where I'm coming from. God can handle it, right? If he's overall and he's in all. And, and man, Kristen is a, is a saint because she's been dealing with it more than, more than I have. But I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, man, God can handle it. And, and if we can grasp that, right? And even us looking at our neighbor and saying, yeah, he can handle it. We got to believe it. Right? we got to believe it. Yes, He can handle my job. Yes, He can handle this situation that I'm dealing with. He can handle this relationship problem. He can handle my financial struggle. He can handle my marriage. He can handle my kids. He can handle it. All I have to do is abandon control. Wait a minute. What would you say? Yeah. If He's going to handle it, we got to let Him handle it. If he's going to handle it, we've got to let him handle it. So he's the firstborn of all creation. Again, a place of honor. We can trust any problem to him. Number three, we'll give verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What a beautiful promise. Right? He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. What does that mean? He is the glue of my existence. 
He is the glue of my existence, which means for us that we can give our chaos to Him. He is the glue of our existence, which means that we can give our chaos to Him. Wasn't our chaos um, pretty much our problems? Maybe, but, but I, think, I think you can see the difference here, right? He is the glue of our, our existence, and so we can give our chaos to Him, and what that means is rest in His presence and be still. And be still. We can be still. We can give our chaos to Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Jesus not only spoke the creation into being, He also maintains everything. He is creator and sustainer. He holds it all together. I think of Him as the glue of my existence. Jesus brings a singular focus to my life because He holds all things together. I can give Him my chaos. I want you to see that again. Jesus brings a singular focus to my life. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Jesus brings that singular focus to my life. Because guess what? It's His. It's His. My marriage is His. My kids are His. I'm just a steward of them. This church, we're going to get to that. It's actually number four. It's His. I'll be held accountable for how I shepherded it and stewarded you and this, all of it. But it's His. Right? My friendships, they're His. You're His. You're not in my control. It's all His. Right? Which takes us again to number four. Look at verse 18, starting uh, the, the first part there. And he is the head of the body, the church. The, the Bible actually has a lot to say here uh, uh, throughout Scripture about Jesus being the church. But what it means for us, right? Jesus is the leader of the church. I can commit my church to him, right? I can commit my church to him. Paul's favorite allegory for the church is the human body. He uses it several times in Scripture. The point here, the point here that I want us to see this morning, and I hope, everybody, I hope everybody's listening into this because I think this is really important in our church culture today. Hugely important in our church culture today. The point here is that Jesus is the brains of the church. The point here is that Jesus is the brains of the church. He is the head of the church. He's in charge of the church, right? Now, you and I undoubtedly, and, and please, 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 for the sensitivity of those around us and me, don't comment. Don't raise your hands. Don't be like, yup. Mm-hmm, right? We've seen churches where Jesus isn't the head of the church, haven't we? We've seen movements. We've seen things. We, we've experienced things. I, I, think that, I, think, I, think, I think people that, that have gone um, before us and that are going to come after us and all of that, we, we have experienced, we have experienced church life when Jesus isn't in His proper place within the church. Amen? All right, we'll stop right there. Even more so, I think this is so big for us to talk about today. Because I think there are so many things that are 
that are, that are in front of the church, that are, that are facing the church of Jesus, right? Because see, I believe, I believe, mark my words, I believe that the church is God's plan to change the world. Hands down, I believe the church is God's plan to change the world. God's plan to save the world. You want some scriptural proof? You are ambassadors for Christ. God's ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal to the world through us. Paul is speaking that under the influence of the Holy Spirit to the church at Corinth, right? And so the, the church is God's plan to change. And, and I believe God uses the church when, when his son, Jesus, has, its pro, has his proper place in the church. Now, let me, let me go press a little bit further into this because I'm really grieved by this. And you can blame it on sabbatical and the fact that I had three months to kind of rest and think and pray. You can blame it on my bad coffee this morning. Okay? But I think we got to talk about this. Because we talk about things here as open hand and closed fisted. Right? The things in the open hand, I wouldn't shed a paper cut over. Like dress code for church. Style of music. Um, whether we pass an offering bucket or not. Like there are things, there are the color of carpet, that's a popular one, right? Stained glass windows. You know, there, there are things that, that the church has dealt with in, in, in years past that I wouldn't shed a paper cut over. But there are things that are in the closed fist that I'd fight to the death over. Jesus being the firstborn of creation. Jesus being the invisible God. Jesus born of a virgin. Jesus ascending into heaven and, 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 and dying. You know, like there are things that I, there, there are beliefs that are straight from Scripture that I would fight to the death over. Here's my, here's, here's, we're, we're bringing all of this, right, with Jesus being the leader of the church. I believe the church is majoring on way more things in the open hand than we are the closed fist, and that the enemy is using it for his good. I mean, think about it. If the church can bring social justice issues, right, in front, if the enemy can bring social justice issues before the church and get us not talking about Jesus and the furtherance of the gospel, he wins. Right? He wins. Well, where do you fall on this? Scripture's not clear. Let me make this clear. If Scripture's not clear, we're not clear. Right? And so, and, and, and so the church becomes divided. Well, pastor, I really think you ought to preach on this. No! I'm not going to preach on this. Scripture's not clear about it. You see what I'm saying? Jesus deserves, and hear me, ought to be in His proper place within the church. I cringe. I don't even know what's in the bulletin because I, I haven't, shame on me, bad pastor. I haven't read the bulletin this morning or since I've been back from sabbatical. Man, bad pastor. Confessions of your pastor. But man, I cringe when I'm referred to as the senior pastor. I cringe because I'm not. I'm not. Jesus is. He ought to be. He ought to be. Don't place me in that role as senior pastor in your life because we're both going to struggle. Right? I can't live up to that. 
Right? Jesus is the, and, and when I was meeting with our leaders a couple years ago, I, I sat down and I said, I said this, and some of them I think are in the room might remember this, right? What would it look like? How would church happen? How would church be different if Jesus truly was the senior pastor of our church? What do you think? How, how cool would that be? Right? I mean, I mean, doesn't that sound awesome? Like, like let's, just, let's just sit and let's, let's think about that for a minute, man. What, what would it look like? How would church be different if Jesus truly was the senior pastor of my church? If I saw him that way, if I elevated Jesus to that level, if I brought all of my concerns to him, you know what, Jesus? Listen, the music really bugged me this week. I need your help in dealing with that and how to deal with that. Would you give me wisdom, James chapter 1, beyond my own understanding and how to handle this situation what would that look like if Jesus had his proper place from us corporately and individually as senior pastor in our church that's awesome does that not get it I don't know about you that gets me excited right that gets me excited it ought to get us excited right Jesus having his proper place in the church all right we good we ready to move on Alright, so that leads us to number 5, verse 18, uh, the second part of verse 18, right? So the, the first part, he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, everybody say everything, everything. better, good job, that in everything he might be preeminent. Number 5, Jesus is the standard for eternal life. Alright, I'm going to give something away. We're going to talk about it. I've already referenced it. Um, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. My fear for us and our culture and our church culture is that we've made Jesus a way, a truth, a life, and not the way, the truth, the life. Right? And so what this means for us is I can trust him for life forever. Jesus, right? Jesus died a physical death, yet his spirit lived on. God raised him from the dead. Easter Sunday, that's what we celebrate, gave him a resurrection body. He walked around earth for about 40 days, showing up here and there, recognizable most of the time, sometimes not, sometimes not eating fish along with the rest to prove he wasn't a ghost. Then he departed for heaven. He ascended into heaven, his permanent home. And get this, Jesus became the first human body to enter heaven. Lots of souls there who will get their new bodies later, but Jesus is the first to have a body there now. And, 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 and that's beautiful, right? Because we can trust Jesus for life forever. Number six, we've got to keep moving. Verses 19 and 20. This is big. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is the payment for my sins. We've already talked about that, right? He's the suitable sacrifice. He is the payment for my sins. So what does that mean for us? I can be right with God through him. I can be right with God through him. I don't get right with God by how many Sundays I attend church. I don't get right with God by how many, by, by how many areas in which I serve. I don't get right with God by earning it, by buying it. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you guys have seen the news or have even heard about this guy, but Benny Hinn, I mean, Benny Hinn has just come out and like announcing that he's changing his whole theology and, 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 and is never going to put the gospel for sale again on TV or any other platform, which I think is awesome. Praise God. I think we've been praying for this as a church for years, at least I have. Um, and, and, and one of the things he said last night is the gospel is not for sale. How awesome is that, right? 
And so guess what? When you see that TV program and they're telling you to send in $1,000 and you'll get to enter heaven when you die, you don't have to do that. Keep your $1,000, right? That's awesome, right? Praise God. The gospel's not for sale. Jesus already bought eternal life for you when he went to the cross. You see that? That's awesome. That, was great. that means great things for us. That was a great place to say amen. Jesus already bought eternal life for you when he went to the cross. Good job. We're getting there, man. He's the payment for my sins. I can be right with God through him. So I know we've talked a lot here, but I want to take this to Matthew chapter 28. That's the beginning of the Great Commission for the church, where Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 28, 18. Okay? All, what does this mean for us? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's what Jesus said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So what, what, what do we do about the authority of Jesus? How does the authority of Jesus apply to our lives? Is the authority of, of Jesus important to my Christian life? Yes. Because in his great commission, Jesus tells the disciples, he tells the people that, that he is seeing in this moment, Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, right? And so he's opening his commission to the church with this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, he says in tw- verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. But he starts, he starts with this statement. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. And so we've got to talk about what this statement means to us. Number one, the authority of Jesus was given by God the Father. We've already talked about that. The authority here is is the Greek word exousia. Though I'm going to even ask you to say it. But it means delegated authority. And so God delegated the authority to Jesus on earth to do the work. And so the authority of Jesus was given by the Father. Number two, I think this is big for us. The authority of Jesus includes heaven and earth. The authority of Jesus includes heaven and earth. Philippians 2.10, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The authority that was given to Jesus is not just for the period of history when Jesus was walking on this earth 2,000 years ago. It's for now. It includes all heavens and earth. There is no place, listen to me church, there is no place that the authority of Jesus does not apply. Hallelujah, right? Woo! That's awesome. That's better than any Aroma Joes. Right there. Even the rushes. Jesus has authority to save and to judge. Jesus can save, he can deliver, he can heal, he can conquer, he can make whole, he can forgive. The same Jesus who can save is also judge. And we need to believe that. So not only was that authority, right, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, it was given by God, it's for heaven and earth. But number three, we must believe in his authority. We 
What would it look like if our lives reflected the fact that Jesus was the authority? If Jesus was the authority. See, the key, the key, the key to have, having spiritual authority in our lives is not the head knowledge, but a passionate heart knowledge of the authority of Christ. I, I love what, again, I, I, I was really blown away by this Benny Hinn thing last night. Benny Hinn said this when he was talking about how the gospel is not for sale. I think this is so good. He said, if you're not giving because you love Jesus, then don't bother giving. If you're not here because you love Jesus, then don't... I mean, you get it, right? We must live according to His authority, not because of a head knowledge, because of a passionate heart knowledge. It's like a fire in our heart. We've been talking about passion the last couple of weeks. It's an inward conviction of our spirit. It's the inspiration from the Holy Spirit. This is faith for living. I want to close with this. Pastor and author Tim Keller says this, our real problem, I think it sums it all up, our real problem is that every one of us is building our identity on something besides Jesus. Our real problem when it comes to authority is that every one of us is building our identity on something besides Jesus. Every one of us is building our identity on something besides Jesus. I took Ezra, my little little boy, my four-year-old boy, took him to the doctor's office the other day for his checkup. He jumped on the scale, and I'm always really excited for this part, right, because I want to see his percentages and just praying that he takes after me when it comes to height and not his mama. (laughs) No offense, you know, I mean, all three girls can be short, but just need Ezra to be tall. And uh, and he jumps on the scale, and I'm like, yeah, big boned. You know, they do the height thing, and... and, uh, Nurse looks at me and is like, he's going to be a big boy. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, he is. And I said something I always kind of say in jest, right? He's my retirement plan. Right? He's my retirement plan. And I was thinking about that as she walked out of the room and I had 45 minutes to wait for the doctor. <laughs> you too. I was, thinking, I was thinking about it. I was like, man... I'm really glad I don't put my hope in Ezra for my retirement. I'm really glad I don't put my hope in Bria for being a good parent. The reflection of her. I'm really, I'm really glad I don't. You, you, get, you get the picture? Like, God forgive us. God straighten us. If we're trying to build our life on something other than Jesus. The worship team is going to come. And we're going to close with a song. But my question for us today. What is the authority in your life? 
Who is the authority in your life? Are you building your life on something other than Jesus? And I think the answer for many of us in this room, I'll be honest, I think is yes. And so then the follow-up question is, what is it going to take for Jesus to have his proper place in your life? What would it take for Jesus to take the proper seat in your heart? What does that take? And only you can answer that, right? Only you can answer that. But I pray, I pray, like what does it look like? Man, I always say this, but what does it look like if Jesus took the proper place in each of our hearts? What focus does that give his body, the church, if he's got the proper place in our hearts? And so I pray that he is the authority in my life. I pray that he is the authority in your life. I pray that he is the authority and the senior pastor of this place, Summit Church. And I pray that we become really close-fisted about that. That he is the authority. That nothing comes from our agenda. I've been praying, I've been praying for the last month. And, and I, I can't... I, 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 I think... I think I've been good. But it's something that I'm really, it's a new measurement for me. It's a new weight for me. And I shared it with our worship team this morning. But while I was on sabbatical, I became really convicted about everything that comes from this platform. Everything. Even like down to the announcements. But that everything, everything is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Nothing is from my agenda. Nothing is from Dylan's agenda or Kristen or Ashley or Jeff or anybody else is standing up here. But then everything that you hear in this place on a Sunday morning that we experience is straight from God. Straight from God. Well, that sounds pretty stiff and like we can't have fun. Really? Who do you think God is? He created you. He created me. Quirks and all. Right? for the joy that we could experience in Him. I think, man, I, I think we... Yeah, I'm going to stop talking. I'm rambling now, and we're just going to let that Holy Spirit thing stick. Let's pray. God, I thank You that You've created us for You. And God, I thank You that You've given us a design for life that You are the authority. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us to see clearly the things that we're building our life on that are not you. God, I pray that you'd help us to see with wisdom the things that <clears throat> are taking your place in our life. And God, I pray that you'd give us a passion. God, I pray that you'd give us a passion to remove those things so that there would be nothing but you there. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.